Welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have uh, another brilliant guest who's going to walk us through some some dope things that are being talked about in the stratosphere on places like X and other things, but none other than Peter Kafka. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. What are those pictures over your head? Let's you start. know what? There was a, my wife. That's a, she's from Philadelphia. They're from some Philadelphia artists, and I wish I could tell you more about them, but they look cool, right? Yeah. Okay. Your yeah. wife's gonna. Your wife's not gonna like this part of the interview. So we'll just. <laughs> she's gonna be like, "You're supposed to know who these people are." I knew at one point. <laughs> so look, my show is kind of unique in that we ask all of our guests the same first question, which is. We start our, our episodes by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. So talk to me about each one of your career stops between your first journalist job out of college to the work you're now doing in Vox. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm old, so we'll try to speed. We'll try to speed. Yeah, I mean, I one. just like the yeah. no. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to get a job in newspapers out of college, and I could not get my foot in the door. This is the early 90s, and there was a recession. Uh, and I ended up working for something called the Minnesota Real Estate Journal, and it was just as exciting as it sounds. Uh, I wrote about commercial, I wrote about light industrial buildings and the Mall of America. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also had read, uh, Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis, and that had opened my eyes to the idea that business writing could be interesting. And I eventually I got another job, I eventually picked myself up and walked over to New York from Minnesota drove a car um and this was the late 90s and anyone could get a job at a magazine because these things were just groaning with ads they had they had so many ads we had to make more stories to fit them in so i started as a fact checker at forbes i was there for a long time i went to forbes.com i hated that i left that became the first employee of what was called silicon alley insider which is now insider and oh. then that was so I was a, spent a year at that startup and then went to work for Walt Mossberg and Kara Swisher, who were running something called All Things D, which was like a tech blog and conference that was owned by the Wall Street Journal. And that company in various permutations is where I've been since. It's now it's net, that company went independent and then is now owned by Vox Media. That's the super short version. I'll take that. Shout out to Kara Swisher, who we've had on the show. Brilliant writer, great personality. Uh, answer me this question. I know what it is. I, I go to it all the time. It's a resource for those of us who talk about this shit or live in the bubble on a daily basis. But for our listeners who may not have heard of Fox, uh, what is it and how can people find it online and follow it? I, I got to make sure you, your, your listeners know it's V-O-X because sometimes people get confused. Oh, yeah. I was like, did I not pronounce that right? <laughs> no, no, you got it. But I, I party, <laughs> sometimes my boss is on a CNBC and they describe him as Fox Media CEO. Uh, Vox, is a, Vox Media is a bunch of different sites. The Verge, Vox.com, uh, Eater. So the site I work for, Vox.com, was set up by Ezra Klein, who's now at the New York Times. And, and the mission there is explain the news which at the time they started it was kind of a new idea. Now a lot of folks do it. But the idea is there's lots of stuff going on in the world. It's complicated. We want to make it understandable for a general public without talking down to them. Um, so that's that's the mission. I think, by the way, they're doing a great job with what's what going on by, in Israel and Gaza by, right now. What do you mean by explaining the news? I mean, I've, I've had a couple of friends that worked with me at CNN. One is now at Puck. The other is Brian Stelter. And they yeah. try to talk about the news what what do you when you say explain the news are you are you talking about what's true versus what's not i mean it's it's hard is that that 
It is hard. It is hard. What they're trying to do at Vox in general. So my version of it is tell me what you'd say if you were at the bar with your friend and you wanted to explain what you wrote about. But that's that's a different version. That's cutting through some bullshit and that's saying some things in private you can't say in print. This is there's a the things are complicated. We want to add context. We want you to understand, for instance, that Israel and, and Hamas, that's a long running conflict. Here are some of the roots of it. Let's look at it from a couple different angles. Um, it's not they it's not strenuously neutral. Vox definitely has a left wing point of view uh, if you put them on the, the spectrum. But but it, the point is, it's not invective. It's not propaganda. It's Here's what people are saying. You are someone who doesn't spend a ton of time consuming a news or you do, but 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 you find it complicated to get through spin, et cetera. And that's that's the mission. That's that's pretty cool. One of the better stories you all have I was uh, reading um, was uh, explaining. It was an explainer on the one state versus two state solution. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. very, very good for those of you all. Go get it. It's behind a paywall, but go get it. No, no, it's free. That's oh, that's free? the other thing. It's a hundred percent free. Oh, like, they they will ask you to donate. Oh, that's um, what it that was. Is, yeah, <laughs> the, to make it. Sorry, not a donation, a contribution. For some reason, that's important legally. But uh, but yeah, no, it's a hundred percent free. That's one. I don't of the want you to get summoned. Us. I don't want you to get summoned after this po podcast for not calling it the right thing. Thank you. Uh, so I was watching. I tried to watch. I can't lie about it. I tried to watch Elon Musk and Joe Rogan yesterday. Uh, they had a podcast, which is two hours and 40 minutes or something like short. that. That's short for uh, for a Joe Rogan Elon thing. Yeah, it was it was a weird love fest. I, I won't uh, tell you my feelings about that. But let's talk about X or mm -hmm. the platform formerly known as Twitter. And you're reporting on the aforementioned Elon Musk. Before we talk about your new project, what got you into reporting on Elon Musk? and the evolution of Twitter and X. I I have been, I got on Twitter 2006. Oh, wow. No one was on it. Four years and, I, and I was, I, mean, a long, I was 2010. I thought I was a long time. Yeah. Ago. And then I, when I worked for Silicon Alley and I, no one was on it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go. And then when I got out, we started working for Silicon Alley Insider. We had a tiny audience, but they a lot of them were VCs, et cetera. They were using Twitter. And so I got back on it then. So the point is I've been on it for a long time and I've been writing about it for a long time especially in the early days when it's there was a real honest debate about whether it was going to eclipse Facebook, like serious people like this could be the new thing that takes on Facebook and it eclipses Facebook. Um, so and it was really interesting to watch a startup that a ton of people were interested, especially in my world being tech and journalism um, and trying to figure out where it would go next. And I had never sort of been on the ground floor of watching a company blow up like that. Um, so that was fascinating to me. So I have dipped in and out of reporting on it over the years. For a while, it got very boring. Uh, and then when Elon blew everything up a year, a year and change ago, it, it got very interesting again. So we wanted to tell this story time to the one year anniversary of his purchase. Talk to us about Land of Giants. What is that? That that was uh, I think Kara actually came up with the name. But years ago now, we were trying to figure out what else we could do with podcasting because we, we Kara had an interview show that she was doing for Vox. I was doing one. And our thought was, what else can we do with it? A uh, former colleague of mine, Jason Del Rey, was really deep into Amazon. He was writing about all the nooks and crannies of Amazon. We thought this could be a great story. And we didn't know what we were doing and how to make a narrative podcast, but he he'd made six or seven episodes of it. And since then, we've done 
various people who have done various deep dives into giant tech companies. I did one on Netflix. That was really fun. One on Apple. We've done, we've branched out. We've done some on like categories like dating apps or delivering apps. But the nobody, idea is nobody's, telling, done, nobody's done Pornhub yet, Peter. Ah, uh, I mean, Pornhub slash OnlyFans would be a pretty great story. Um, difficult to tell, but, but challenging. Um, and so it's part business story, part cultural history. Uh, you know, we promise you that we're going to get you inside the company one way or the other, but also look at it from different perspectives. And a lot of these stories tend to, when a lot of these business stories get told, they're told about the men who started the companies and then took over the companies and the backroom fighting. And we do all that, but we also want to broaden out and say, why does this matter to a regular person? Why does this matter to the culture? Uh, and that's definitely what we're trying to do with, with Twitter. The day you and I are recording this, we have one about how Twitter's users, for instance, really created both the features and the culture of what was on the site and just sort of independently of what the people who were running it wanted to happen. And so that's the kind of thing that makes it special than I think in other stories. Yeah. Shout out to black Twitter kind of created and carved out our own space. We, we spend a lot of time on that in this episode. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Zoom out a little bit. Let's talk about how Elon Musk actually ended up acquiring Twitter. Because that shit just seems bizarre. It was like, hey, I want to buy something for $50 billion. I'll give you some shares of, of uh, SpaceX or Tesla. And then I'm going to go get me some banks to do this. Yeah, that is basically it. I mean, that, this is the thing about Elon that makes him both fascinating and vexing to cover. And I think really interesting as a person and I think kind of worrisome as a person is he is impetuous and um, yeah, he's impetuous, right? He'll decide one thing and and go ahead and do it. He'll change his mind the next day. Doesn't seem to be that stable. He seems to have a lot of mood swings. Um, 
which, you know, there's a lot of people like that, but they are generally not the richest people in the world. Um, and one of the great ironies about Elon buying Twitter is one of the reasons he bought it is because he's obsessed with Twitter, like more than a normal person would be. And also, one of the reasons he could buy it is because he, Tesla stock was so, worth so much in 2022, in part because of the way that Elon could use Twitter to rally his fanboys and push the stock up. The stock market was responding to his tweets. It's crazy to imagine that, but it was definitely happening. And so that gave him that much more money that a $44 billion impulse purchase was something he could do. Um, and again, it was an impulse purchase, you know, almost immediately after saying, I'm buying this in April, 2022, he spent months and millions of dollars trying not to buy it. Um, either he didn't want to buy it or he wanted to lower the price and he was making up all these stories about all these uh, fabrications that the sellers had made. But eventually the court said, no, you're, you're going to have to, before the courts finally forced him to buy it, he said, all right, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm going to buy it. So you know, you and I have all bought things that we regretted maybe as we got out of the store or once we got home or after we shut the computer or turned off our phone. Um, we, they're generally not $44 billion deals. And that's that actually is the long and short of the deal of that story. Do not give my wife any ideas. <laughs> um, what's his goal to destroy it? I mean, I just saw a article yesterday that the share that the purchase price was valuation was $44 billion when he bought it. It's now around fifteen billion. He says it's nineteen billion. Fidelity, which owns a chunk of it, thinks it's fifteen. I think if you actually tried to sell this thing on the open market today, it'd be worth even less. Um, again, Elon is erratic. That was the other word I was looking for for impetuous. So he will say things and believe things one day that he doesn't think the next day. So you kind of have to. You can take what he says somewhat seriously and what he texts people. There's a whole trove of text messages that came out during that trial I was referencing. Um, I look at it as look at his actions. And I don't think he thinks he is trying to destroy Twitter. I think he is trying to turn Twitter into the idealized version of Twitter that he would like to have as its most powerful <laughs> user. And I honestly think that, you know, the fact that lots of folks that I know and probably that you know have left Twitter over the years, not everyone, by the way, uh, we could talk about who's staying, um, is not what he wanted to happen. He wanted them to stay there. He wants he, the media elite that he scorns. Um, he says he scorns. He's so thirsty. He wants their attention. He wants them to pay attention. He just thinks the rules should be different. Um, remember when he brought uh, Tucker Carlson to, to Fox? Yeah. Oh, he's turning into a right wing, you know, um, platform, et cetera. And I'm sure he wants it to be more right than it than than the previous owners was. But he also was thirstily us uh, uh, tweeting out to Don Lemon saying, "Hey, Don Lemon, you lost it. You should come here too. I, I want everyone here. I want I want this giant media company to have everyone there. So I don't think he wants to destroy it." How has Twitter changed internally since he's taken over? I'm glad uh, they're, they're probably glad he's moved out though, right? That who's moved out? That he moved out the offices. I mean, he's no longer the he's no longer running it daily. Oh, he's running it daily. He he appointed a CEO, um, but um, the it's CEO in name only. Sure, a woman named Linda Yaccarino who'd run ad sales for NBC, very well regarded when she had that role. But it's a tech company, and he runs all the tech. He runs product. He runs everything else. She's in charge of business. So, And you can also tell he'll roll out a name change, or he'll roll out a big product change. And she clearly has not been informed about it, because it'll take her a couple of days to put out a tweet 
celebrating it. Um, so he's very much running the company. He he fired about two thirds, three quarters of the staff. Um, there's some people who are pretty sympathetic to Twitter. He said it was still overstaffed. He would have had to make some cuts anyway. But he cut it down to the bone. He's still trying to to save pennies everywhere he can by stiffing his landlords, not paying his vendors. It's a pretty crazy way to run the company. But he's done that in the past. Like I'm just going to strip everything down and try to try to do it as cheaply as possible. Um, you know, one of the things that people in my world complain a lot about is that he has, when he fired everyone, almost everyone, you know, he definitely fired all the people from the, what was called trust and safety team. These are the yeah. people who spent all their time trying to keep the worst people in the world off, off of Twitter. And they're all gone. And also, uh, he also immediately went ahead and said, everyone that was kicked out of Twitter over the last couple of years, again, some of the worst trolls in the world, you can all come back. Um, Donald Trump, you were kicked off. You can come back. And he has this pretty naive idea that you can run a platform of Twitter's size and complexity with next to no rules. And it's not working out that well. You know, that leads me to my next question. If you're pretty good at this, you should do more TV. One of the things that I think most dangerous about someone is reckless owning Twitter is that I believe Twitter, it serves a vital purpose around journalism and democracy. You can disabuse me of that notion and say, Bakari, you should not look to social media to preserve journalism and democracy. But how have you seen that function change under Musk's leadership? I mean, he's openly antagonistic toward the press. You see him getting in fights with NPR, or The New York Times, whatever. Um, you know, what he has done is elevate the voices of, of again, kind of, they're not, they're not all terrible people, but a lot of them aren't great. The people who are paying him $8 a month to be verified, he's pushing their replies and their content up to the top. So instead of going to Twitter and finding Bakari or Peter or anyone else you used to find, you can still find them. They're still there. But the first voices you're going to see are from these very thirsty trolls um, who are out there either putting out what they think Elon wants to read or, or playing to different audiences than they used to. I would say that, you know, Nothing, nothing, none of these things last forever. Even if, even if Twitter was run by a benevolent, you know, dictator, doesn't mean it was going to sustain itself in lots of the world. Twitter isn't that relevant. And that's always been the case. Um, people who are covering the U Russia and Ukraine war, they don't use Twitter to figure out what's going on. They use Telegram and same thing right now with, with Israel and Gaza. Um, the, the people in that fight are using Twitter for propaganda reasons. But if you want to know what's going on, I'm told by people who follow this, you go to Telegram. So, you know, democracy existed before Twitter. It is going to continue to exist without Twitter. It's too bad that it's being run down to what it is now, but we can, we're going to be okay. I mean, I, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, that sounds real hopeful. Uh, I generally, I generally don't do hope. So, if I'm saying it's the other thing, we got to we got to live with it, right? This is a private company. It's not run by the government. So that was my next question. Run by like, government. Can it be fixed? And, you know, <laughs> is there is there change on the horizon? Is is Elon going to get a 10 billion dollar offer and be like, I'm going to build another rocket to Mars? I asked that question a lot, especially when he bought it initially and it was clear he was just causing havoc. I was asking people who'd spent time, uh, a lot of time with him. Um, including two of his biographers, Walter Isaacson, who just came out with that biography great recently, book, book. and Ashley Vance, a great reporter for Bloomberg Businessweek, who'd done one like five years ago. Um, and they're both like, no, he is stubborn. He is not going to give up anything until he has to. Um, so, And he, he can run this thing in a diminished state for a long time. If you're the world's richest man, you don't need Twitter to make a ton of money. You just need Twitter to 
not cost you billions of dollars. And if you fire three quarters of the staff, you only need about a billion dollars in revenue and he could probably cobble that together or run it at a loss. So I think he's going to keep it. Um, also, it still generates an enormous amount of tension for him. And that is, you could put a price on that, but it's a pretty big price for Elon Musk. He loves attention and he's got an attention-making machine in the same way that Donald Trump adored Twitter. Not because he cared about Twitter's principles, but he knew that if he typed something into Twitter, people on TV would talk about it. Elon Musk has that same ability um, with, with everything he's doing in Twitter, and I think that is invaluable to him. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. We've seen the evolution of these kind of billionaires. I mean, you had Ted Turner, who was for a very long period of time. I don't know if he was ever the richest man, but, you know, we kind of gave him that, yeah. that title. Then you had the philanthropic jobs and, and, and Gates, who, um, you know, created all this wealth and then kind of went out and, and did their own thing. Job, jobs didn't give any of it. By the way, by the well, way, he was, he was anti-philanthropy. His wife, I would think about his wife, his <laughs> wife, his wife, now that he's dead is, is giving a lot of it away. Yeah. Uh, yes, she is. Uh, and then you had, uh, damn, you made me forget where I was going. There was Jeff Bezos, his Bezos into that mode. went out and just wanted to build the largest shit he could possibly build to take over the world, which Amazon is like doing. But now you have this like celebrity eccentric kind of bipolar Elon Musk. Are we seeing an evolution of, of billionaires in this country or in this in the world? I mean, where does he fall in the spectrum of Bill Gates, Ted Turner, et cetera? Or does he even want to be mentioned with them? Oh, he definitely wants to be mentioned with them. I mean, if, if the easiest thing, first of all, he picked Steve Jobs biographer to be his biographer. If you compare the front cover of the Steve Jobs biography, and you I encourage your listeners and, and viewers to do this, to Elon's 
he's clearly wants to be Steve Jobs, right? Among other things. Um, I I think about this a lot. Like there's obviously been really rich people in the past. There's people with enormous amounts of, of power and influence. Those people generally either didn't, weren't out in public, or if they were in public, they were managed in various ways, either by people around them or the press moderated sort of what you see of them. I think a lot about the stupid stuff, the incendiary stuff that Elon says on Twitter. I'm sure you have been in rooms where people have said similar things who also have power, but they generally, it doesn't leave the room. And that's the but interesting thing about Elon is, is he paving the way for, for rich people to go and say and do outrageous and harmful things? Um, or is he one-to-one? And does it matter, right? Does it matter? Like, what's the difference between Elon saying outrageous stuff versus other people doing it quietly in a back room? And it's an open question. I don't know. Well, I mean, I have some thoughts on that. Elon, I want to hear the thoughts. No, I mean, I think people say stuff and cruel stuff in a back room. But Elon and his quotes on Twitter, they actually drive, you know, foreign policy events. They they drive markets. They affect policy holders. It's a lot different from being ignorant behind closed doors to actually effectuating policy on social media. I think you're right. I, th- I guess what I was getting at is not just an average. I, I think if you're if you're with some rich people, you realize, oh, wow, you guys think a lot of you guys are quite similar to the way Elon <laughs> views the world. It's just that you're not out there. And you may. And by the way, like the Koch brothers, well, there's only one left, right? Like, yeah, they're enormously powerful and influential. They just didn't do interviews primarily. Right. Um, but they're, they were you know, yeah. Yeah. But they have enormous power and influence in the way this company, this country has been shaped. Uh, Elon is is just the guy doing it in real time. Yeah. Elon needs a group chat. Why don't you and Kara create a group chat so he doesn't destroy America with one tweet at a time? I think <laughs> he has the group chats. If you if you saw again in those texts uh, from the court case yeah, where he, when he bought the company, true. there's crazy people piping in. And some of them, like the, the CEO of Axel Springer, this enormously powerful publisher, hits him up right away says, oh, Elon, I should run Twitter for you. You're like, what? I mean, that's like the equivalent of like uh, David Zaslop or the head of the New York Times reaching out to him. Like, it's crazy. We all, none of us batted and I, most people don't know who that guy is, but that's some wild stuff. And that's the kind of people who are in his head all the time. Peter, you're, you're absolutely brilliant. Let, let me ask you this last question. How can people follow you and follow your reporting online? Uh, you Google me, very Googleable. I got a long digital trail for better and for worse. P Kafka on Twitter, still call it Twitter, P Kafka on threads, um, publish on box.com. You can listen to Land of the Giants, which is the podcast I'm out promoting right now uh, on all your feeds. And then I do a weekly interview show and you should come on up a car. It's called Recode Media. And I'm also we do it. Whenever I'm invited, I will be there. Peter Kafka, thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. Listen, I think that OnlyFans... Pornhub, Cam Soda, Feet Finder. Will you come on as a as a voice of a, of a as a user, <laughs> as, a, as as an observer? If that feels as, comfortable, as a user, had me chuckle. Yes, I will come on. I'm one. <laughs> I, I firmly believe sex work should be legal. So that's a whole nother story. But All yes, right. next uh, interview, I will, I will I will definitely come on. But Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank uh, you on the Sellers podcast. <laughs>